1: Why would you want to live your life this way when, man, everybody is going this way? It's just the way everything is. Wouldn't it be a lot easier just to flow with the world rather than to take this stand of righteousness, this stand of obedience? It's the same lie the enemy of our soul speaks to us today. Rather than walk in direct opposition to the world and to its ways, perhaps we can just accommodate the world. Perhaps we can just blend in. And as we blend in, we unfortunate thing, we become assimilated in the world and our lives no longer make any kind of an impact for the kingdom of God and the light of our life no longer shines in the darkness. Don't
0: let the king of darkness fool you into conforming to the standards of this world. When you give up righteous living, you sacrifice any impact for the kingdom of Christ. In today's message, Pastor David encourages you to be a light in a dark and dying world. It's not easy to live in obedience, but the result of doing so means that people might come to know Christ based on your attitude and actions. What is the one change you can make today that will result in a more righteous life? Now here's Pastor David in the book of Judges chapter 1 as he begins his message through the book of Judges.
1: in the book of Judges, and I invite you to take your Bible. We're going to be touching on a lot of different verses As we go through there, Judges takes place right at the death of Joshua. It follows the book of Joshua. And as a matter of fact, when we look at the earlier chapters of the book of Judges, there seems to be some disconnect or discontinuity between timing of Joshua's death and some of the events that are going on. As a matter of fact, chapter one, the very first verse, begins now after the death of Joshua it came to pass. And so you would think, okay, from there now we're taking off and we're gonna go after the death of Joshua because, again, we saw that the end of the book of Joshua that, again, came to pass that uh, uh, Joshua had died being 110 years old. So now we get into here, now after the death of Joshua. But then the first chapter goes on there in Judges, goes on to speak of this confederacy that's joined together with the tribe of Judah and the the tribe of Simeon, as they go against the Canaanites and the Perizzites, they go to the point of defeating King Adonai Bezak, and they end up cutting the guy's thumbs and his toes off. And you think, man, what a horrible, horrible thing that is. And if you just imagine that trying to exist without your thumbs and toes. But then as you as you read on, you, you find out that that's exactly what he had done to 70 kings prior to that time, and so what they did to him was what he had done to 70 other kings in that area. So still in chapter one, and almost as a footnote, we read there down in the beginning of verse 12 about how Caleb's daughter asked for springs of water to be added to the land that was given to her, and so then we move on, again, not a very big portion, not what seems to be a very uh, powerful portion of it, but it moves on, and the chapter pretty much ends with a sad commentary that the children of Israel in their conquest of the land did not, did not drive out all the other nations around them. The very thing that God had told them to do, that when you go in there, you need to drive them out. And sure enough, when they got in there, they didn't do it. That statement, uh, actually in verse 29 of chapter 2, pretty much sets up the whole issue. No, it's not uh, chapter two. In fact, uh, I've got a wrong uh, verse there as I'm looking at it. But when we get over to chapter two and the nation comes together at Bochim, they receive this challenge from the angel of the Lord. Now look in chapter two and there in verse one, the angel of the Lord speaking to the children of Israel. He said, I led you up from Egypt And I brought you to the land of which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars. But you've not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Therefore, I also said, I will not drive them out before you. But they shall be a thorn in your side and their gods shall be a snare to you. And so it was when the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the children of Israel that the people lifted up their voices and they wept. And you would think, man, they felt so sorry that they had not done what the Lord had told them to do. I don't think that's it at all. I think that what they were weeping about was that, again, those those nations are gonna be a thorn in their side and their gods are gonna be a snare to them. They're not weeping because they were disobedient. Because we find time and time again, the whole story of judges literally is the disobedience of the children of Israel over and over again. And then it goes on there in chapter two, once again, to speak about the death of Joshua at 110 years of age, as well as the death of the generation that was alive when they crossed into the promised land, when they crossed into the Jordan, And then we read these very haunting words here in verse 10. Look at verse 10. Another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. Now let me stop right there because I believe that this this is the pivotal point, particularly here at the beginning of the book of Judges. It's, it's one thing to not know the Lord. You say, man, I, I, I've never heard these, these events in the Bible. I've, I've never heard this scripture. I don't know the Lord. It's it's one thing to not have a personal relationship with him, to not commit yourself to, to following his spirit or his word because you just don't know. However, it's entirely another thing to have never heard of him, nor the work that he had done for the previous generation. And this is what seems to be very apparent here in this verse. It's one thing to not know. It's another thing to have never, ever heard. How could they not have any knowledge of what the Lord had done, of how he had delivered the people in in that prior generation. If that prior generation, if they had been faithful to do what we are all called to do, to proclaim it to the next generation. We look at children's ministries, and beloved, as a pastor, my heart weeps about the fact that we don't have people encouraged and excited about working in the children's ministry to spread on what they know about the Lord to the next generation. Vacation Bible School, Awana's programs, whatever the time, of reaching the hearts of that next generation because, beloved, if we don't do it, who's going to do it? That is our responsibility to pass on what God has done in our life to that next generation. And if we are not faithful in sharing that, How are they going to know? How are they going to hear? The word said there, they they didn't even know the work which he had done for Israel. This whole next generation. Generation of Joshua not only failed in not completely driving out the nations of the land, but they failed to teach their children about the faithfulness of God in bringing them up out of Egypt Uh, maintaining them and protecting and preserving them through the wilderness wanderings, Uh, the ability to be able to cross over the Jordan, making victory after victory over cities like Jericho and a host of other cities, and people uh, throughout that area as they came in and began conquering the land. Remember when they crossed the Jordan, Joshua told the men, grab some monument stones, 12 men, 12 big stones, put it there, and be sure and tell the children. Apparently they didn't. Because the next generation grew, they, they didn't know what God had done for them. They failed. They failed to give testimony of their own relationship with God. And so we read here, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. Here in chapter two, we also see that, that since there was no knowledge, there was no relationship with God, they did the only natural thing. Truly, they did the natural thing. Look at verse 11. Then the children of Israel did what? Did evil in the sight of the Lord. And they served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them. And they bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook the Lord and they served Baal and the Ashtoreths. The anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, so he delivered them into the hands of the plunderers who despoiled them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies all around so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Because of the failure of the previous generation, to pass on the knowledge of the lord the failure of that present generation to seek the things of their lord of the lord because of their disobedience they're now facing literally an immediate consequence all of the tribes at this point in time they were facing just absolute chaos they were they were facing it spiritually and socially and politically nothing was really coming together for them and they were all hiding out from their enemies. And the problem was, is that the enemies surrounded them on every side. It's kind of like the old king of the old days. He's waiting and waiting for his knight to come back. And finally the knight comes back and he says, Sir Knight, where have you been? Oh, I've been battling your enemies, sir, all around. I've been battling your enemies to the north. I've been battling your enemies to the east. I've been battling your enemies to the west. I've been battling all of your enemies to the south. And the king says, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. We don't have any enemies to the south. The knight thought for a moment. He said, well, now you do. Uh, Anyway, you'll get it in a minute. Israel, all of the tribes of Israel were surrounded by these nations, these people there in the land. Why? Because they did not drive them out. They were still there. For them they thought it would be easier to live like the Canaanites than to fight against them. And in order to try and make some sort of peace, they moved more and more completely into the camp of the enemy, hoping that if they were like the enemy, there wouldn't be any more problems in their lives. Sound like a familiar story to you? Because it's the same story, it's the same lie that the enemy feeds you and I today? Why would you want to be a particular and a peculiar people? Why would you want to live your life this way when, man, everybody is going this way? It's just the way everything is. Wouldn't it be a lot easier just to flow with the world rather than to take this stand of righteousness, this stand of obedience, It's the same lie the enemy of our soul speaks to us today. Rather than walk in direct opposition to the world and to its ways, perhaps we can just accommodate the world. Perhaps we can just blend in. And as we blend in, we, unfortunate thing, we become assimilated in the world and our lives no longer make any kind of an impact for the kingdom of God and the light of our life no longer shines in the darkness. And for Israel, that was a sad shift as conquest gave way to toleration, toleration gave way to accommodation, and accommodation gave way to assimilation. And we see that within our own culture today. We see that within the church even today. The following aren't my words. They're actually words of several commentators on the book of Judges, but I thought that they were very good. Some have said that if the book of Joshua rings with shouts of victory, judges echoes the sobs of defeat. Another one, says possession of the land now becomes oppression within the land where freedom and progress give way to bondage and regression. Another said the faithfulness of God's people in Joshua is countered by the faithlessness in Judges. If the Israelites were walking by faith in Joshua, they're living in the flesh, in Judges. One commentator declares, one of the saddest parts of the Bible is the book of Judges, a book of failure. Another one says, Judges is a pathetic anticlimax to the book of Joshua. Joshua, they had come into the land. It had been separated. The different tribes had their different areas, and you would think, great, now all we got to do is go clean up and tidy up things, and yet we find out in Judges, instead of doing that, they begin to be assimilated into the cultures that were still remaining. The word judge actually might give us kind of a poor understanding of what these individuals were. They weren't like our magistrates. They weren't sitting in some courtroom uh, declaring judgment over people. No, they they, they, they were more like tribal leaders. They were raised up by God to act as both family and tribal rulers as well as military leaders. And we find this throughout the book of Judges. As the people began to cry out to God in the midst of all of their misery, in the midst of all of their sufferings, God would then raise up this judge, this military champion, to help them to, to break the bondage of the enemy that was coming against them at the time. And yet the problem is, it didn't take the people very long to move back into the same old routine. And we see not so much a, a circular course of events as we do a literally a a spiraling and it seemed to spiral lower and lower and lower continually all through judges, it starts out with the people sinning and and moving away from God, being disobedient to God and becoming again part of that culture and, and the events of 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 their worship and their their idols their, their pagan practices the people of God moving away from the purpose and the plan of God in their lives. And then they, they became into servitude to those pagan nations. And again, what seemed to be the easiest way to exist soon became a very heavy bondage of servitude upon them. And then they started crying out to the Lord, the supplication. So from sin to servitude to supplication, they would cry out to the Lord, oh Lord, deliver us. Because again, the the attack of the enemy, the weight of the enemy, the weight of our bondage under that enemy is so strong. And then it would come to salvation. God would hear their cries and God would send, uh, deliver. And then once again, they would begin to experience God's amazing grace. Now, I don't know about you, although I can kind of guess because we are all of the same flesh. I've gone through that cycle more than once. Again, walking away from the Lord, suddenly realized, man, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not fresh in the Lord. I'm not allowing the Lord. And so suddenly I'm further away from the Lord. And then suddenly the, the weight of sin, the weight of the world, all these things, suddenly I, I start realize, man, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I'm not walking in the freedom. I'm not walking in the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. And I cry out to the Lord. And you know what? He's faithful and he comes and he delivers. That's the amazing grace of God. Beloved, if it wasn't for grace... How many times would we have that choice? How many times would we have that chance? Oh, third time, you know. There's many court systems that say, "Hey, third strike, man. That, now you're now you're doing hardcore prison time." I'm glad that God is not into that third strike attitude, because again, I'd I'd been down a long time ago, and would have stayed down. To read the book of Judges, actually, is like watching a bad movie over and over and over again, and it's like, it seems like the same. Shouldn't you have learned that before? And yet it comes back again. All of this actually taking place over a period of about 325 years through the use of 12 judges. Gideon's son, Abimelech, tries to become a judge, but he wasn't placed there by God. He kind of rose up on his own, so he's not really counted among the 12. Some of these judges, they acted at different locations, but at the same time frame or close to the same time frame as others. Most of their actions, they, they weren't so much national as much as they were local and, and different tribes and different areas. They would impact or assist maybe one or two tribes at a time, but not necessarily the entire nation. One part of the nation might be living at peace at that point in time, while another family or tribe might be having these great struggles with, again, their, their pagan neighbors. There's actually two primary verses here within the book of Judges that I believe that reveal to us pretty much the entire story of the book of Judges, or at least the, uh, the attitude and, and the actions of the people. The first one is found here in chapter two, down in verse uh, 19. In chapter two, verse 19. And it came to pass when the judge, now that's pretty much any particular judge, when the judge was dead, that they, the the people, reverted and behaved more corruptly than their fathers by by following other gods to serve them and bow down to them. And they did not cease from their own doings nor from their stubborn way. What a... What an attitude, what a, what a reality of the brush to paint over the entire nation of people. But the second one, again, also sharing the, the, the overall concept, but it also gives us a hint of hopefully what the, the future was going to hold for the people. Look uh, in, in chapter 17 and in verse six. In those days, there was no king in Israel. And everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Because there was no godly leadership within the nation, the people themselves just figured they could do anything they wanted, any direction that they wanted. There was no king, there was no deliver. That very word deliver actually we find in the book of Judges either deliver or deliverance or to deliver. Actually, 49 different times within the book of Judges. Why? Because they needed a deliverer. And beloved, if you don't realize that, mankind needs a deliverer. That's who Christ is for us. He is our deliverer. In one form or another, we see that word used throughout the book of Judges. One of the main lessons that we receive from Judges is that our God is a God of mercy and grace, and he does have a deliverer plan. There was no king at that time, but there would be a king. There would be godly leadership that would eventually come into the country. God's love, God's deliverance comes not because we deserve it, not because they deserved it, but simply out of his dynamic and out of his active love his people. About the time that we think that we deserve God's mercy, and that's when we're at the very core of not deserving it at all. Because, beloved, there's nothing we could ever do to really deserve God's mercy, and yet he gives it out of his love. Well, let's move into these judges. Chapter three gives us the first one. off now. Once again, we read words very similar to chapter two here in Chapter three, verses five through 12, we we read a very typical pattern which is seen throughout the book of Judges. So we're gonna read this whole thing again just so you can see this pattern. Verse five of chapter three. Thus the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and all the other ites. And they took their daughters to be their wives. They took these pagan uh, daughters to be the wives of themselves, of Israel. And then they gave their daughters to their sons, and they served their gods. And so the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God, and they served the Baals and the Asheriths.
0: Have you noticed a theme weaving its way through Pastor David's messages and really through the Bible? That theme is salvation. It's Jesus. From the very beginning, God planned for His Son to come save the world from its sins. You find this plan ingrained in His Word, in the lives of the key people of Scripture, and in the words of truth each book provides. We're so glad you're on this journey with us. Through the Bible, we pray you're finding Jesus not just in the text, but in your everyday life too. If you'd like to hear today's teaching again, you'll be able to listen online at TheOpenWord.com. There's several messages there, in fact, and many of them go even more in-depth through a verse-by-verse study of each individual book of God's Word. That website, again, is TheOpenWord.com. Before our time is up with you today, we'd like to turn it back over to Pastor David for a quick request for you, our listener.
1: Yeah, thanks, Chris. I wanted to take a moment and ask you to be praying for the ministry of The Open Word. I know God is working through the messages I've been able to share and He's opening hearts to His love every step of the way. As Chris was saying, this book I'm teaching from is just filled with grace and I want everyone to know about it. Would you pray that more and more people would come to know the saving grace of Jesus? Would you pray too for all of us who are creating the Open Word program? We want to keep focused on Jesus, not on us. Thanks so much for praying. And thanks for joining me today on The Open Word. Make us